Hi, this is Elliot Fisherman, and welcome to the October 2016 CTSS quiz. We had 10 terrific cases for you. Hopefully you enjoyed them, and let's now discuss them. This, in some ways, is a very classic case. You see a large mass in the left upper quadrant. Unfortunately, when you only have two images, it does become a challenge at times. But when you look at the mass, it really is very close to the stomach and probably arises from the stomach. Now, you could argue from these images, it could be arising from the retroperitoneum. It could be arising perisplenic. It could be coming from the tail of the pancreas. When you look at the mass, it's solid and cystic. When you look at the coronal 3D volume rendered image, it has that very classic appearance of a very large mass coming off the gastric surface, the gastric wall. And that's classic for a GIST tumor, a gastrointestinal stromal tumor. About 70% of GIST tumors arise in the stomach. They're often very large. Sometimes they're smaller. Um, most of them are exophytic. Occasionally, they're endoluminal. But this is a very classic example of a GIST tumor. Can lymphoma be this large? Extremely unlikely. Adenocarcinoma, no way. And pancreatic cancer, Again, sometimes tail of the pancreas lesions can be very large, but the epicenter here makes this a GIST tumor. In this case, I asked you what the most likely diagnosis is, and there are several key findings. Probably the easiest thing is to look at the spleen. The spleen is a bit small, but there's diffuse calcifications. And when you see that, there aren't too many possibilities. One could be, I guess, tuberculosis, but then there are spotty calcifications. In the old days with Thoratrest, the spleen became small and very, very dense, but then you would typically also see changes in the liver as well as changes in the nodes. Lymphoma, even treated lymphoma, does not diffusely calcify. This is a very classic appearance for sickle cell disease. With sickle cell disease, often the spleen is very small because of infarctions. And in this case, another helpful thing is looking at the spine. Even though I'm not giving you bone windows, you can see the deformities of the retrieval bodies, which would be very classic for sickle cell disease as well. So that was a very nice example of sickle cell disease. Now in this case, I asked you for the best diagnosis. What I gave you were two images, excretory phase 3D mapping of the calocele system. And what you notice in both kidneys, there's dilatation of the calyces, but also when you start looking particularly at the left kidney, at the calyces, there are little outpouchings from several of the calyces. You can see that on either image in both the right and left kidney. There's also some narrowing of several of the infundibuli. This is not the appearance of transitional cell typically, and it's not the appearance of simple polynephritis, be it acute or chronic. It's more the appearance of papillary necrosis. Papillary necrosis, you talk about a ball and T configuration. Uh, it can be more dramatic than this, but this is one of the earlier cases. And when I see these dilated calyces and blunting, you want to look very carefully. It's important to do the 3D imaging and to be able to target the images with a very wide window. So a nice example of very subtle papillary necrosis. This patient was post-MVA, and so what's the finding? If you look at the 3D images, and I kind of obliged it from above, what you see is, is that the right clavicle is positioned posteriorly to the sternum. 
If you look at the axial imaging, you can see the right clavicle is positioned posteriorly. This soft tissue, which is a hematoma, this is a posterior dislocation. Now, posterior dislocations are very important because when you look at the axial images here, you can see why. Posterior dislocations come close to the vessels, and it's very easy to get vascular injury, particularly arterial injury, but also venous injury. So when you have posterior dislocation, which is relatively uncommon, you want to be able to exclude vascular injury. You also can have injury to the airway, but vascular injury becomes very important. And this is a wonderful example of posterior dislocation. I put down posterior shoulder dislocation, uh, people will call it, but it's posterior dislocation of the clavicle. This is a nice case. When you look at the images, there's two sets of images, both are 3D, essentially. Image uh, with contrast in the colon, you can see an infiltrating process involving the cecum and ascending colon and probably going to a terminal ileum. When you look at the images without contrast, you can see it looks like it's ulcerated in part. It's a bulky lesion. This is not Crohn's disease. If it was Crohn's, it would be Crohn's with colon cancer. Could this be lymphoma? It's a possibility. You often see nodes, larger nodes than you see here. And this is not appendicitis, because this is really wool thickening. This is mass-like, it's infiltrative. And this is a good example of colon cancer with nodes. You also can see in the left flank there's ascites. So this is colon cancer with carcinomatosis and nodal disease. Again, if you said lymphoma, I'd be hard-pressed to say definitely not, though ascites would indeed be less common. This patient has right upper quadrant pain. And when you look at the images trying to figure out the diagnosis, you see the common duct is dilated, you see the pancreatic duct is dilated. And you follow it down from the coronal and 3D views, and you say perhaps this patient has an ampullary lesion. That's a good thought. But if you look really hard, there's a lobular mass along the inner wall of the duodenum, measuring about three to four centimeters on both sets of images. That's not the appearance of pancreatic cancer. It's not simply duodenitis. Then you get thickening and inflammation. This is very much mass-like. Uh, ulcerations you can see, but usually they're not mass-like unless there's an ulcer in a tumor. But this is more classic for an adenocarcinoma. This was a duodenal adenocarcinoma arising in a villous adenoma. You can see it's infiltration along the gastric wall. And adenocarcinomas can obstruct the common duct. They grow up toward the ampulla, which is what happened in this case. And at times, it's hard to distinguish an ampullary lesion from an adenocarcinoma. It can indeed be tricky at times. This case, the history helps you. It's a teenager. And you see a mass net of the pancreas. The mass is relatively low density, well-defined. There's no vascular invasion, and there's no dilated common or pancreatic duct. This is a pancreatic mass. If you're sure it's a pancreatic mass, and the patient's a teenager, and oh yes, this was a female, then it's always going to be a spend tumor, solid and papillary epithelial neoplasma of the pancreas. This is not a cystic lesion like a serous adenoma or pseudocyst. Lymphoma can give you masses, but that would be unusual and surely very unusual in a 14-year-old, and you see no evidence of adenopathy in this case. There's a classic diagnosis of a spend tumor. This patient had pelvic pain, and what's the cause? CT is very good for looking at 
a range of causes of pelvic pain. Obviously, ultrasound, if you're suspecting PID, is the study to do. But in this case, they weren't sure what was going on. You see a mass in the pelvis, and it's a classic appearance, fat and some calcification. And that appearance, soft tissue plug, calcification, and fat, that mass is classic for a dermoid tumor of the ovary. Just a very nice example of a dermoid. It's not cancer, it's not an abscess, and it's not PID. This is a great case. Interestingly, the axial was read as negative. You can see that the angle of the renal arteries is at about 45 degrees. And so if you were looking at axials, you would only see one plane of the renal artery at a time. And that's a scenario where things are often missed, particularly in cases like this, where it's a beautiful example of beating of the right renal artery. Compare the right renal artery to the normal left renal artery. And that's classic for fibromuscular dysplasia. There's nothing else that gives that appearance. Takayashu's causes wall thickening and vessel narrowing. Atherosclerotic disease, you see calcified or non-calcified plaque. This is a beautiful example of FMD. This patient had chest pain, and I decided to give you two 3D images. And when you look at the 3D images, you can make the diagnosis. You see the left main coronary artery dividing to the LAD and circ. And then what's that other vessel coming off the left main? And it's coming anteriorly and then going to the right. You see it on two different views. This is a very nice example of anomalous origin of the right coronary artery off the left coronary artery. Just a beautiful example. It's coming right near the cusp. Classic case. This is an important anomaly because you can see where the patient's uh, in this case, the right coronary artery goes. It goes between the ascending aorta and main pulmonary outflow tract. These are what's considered malignant configurations. So with that, you gotta be thinking in 3D. So we've looked at 10 terrific cases. Hopefully they stimulated discussion or thinking, and hopefully you even got them all right. And with that, we'll see you next month.